0: If you can find ways to delegate your way out of the working in your business, in the critical things that need to have it run, and what's more is actually delegate that to people that are better than you are in the things that are critical to your business. Hey folks, this is Michael at Amazing FBA Towers with
1: the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers looking to grow their businesses from six to seven and potentially exit or if not exit, have a wonderful business that anyone would want to own, including potentially you, if you don't sell it. Now, today we are talking with Yoni Kuzminski. This is sort of part two about growing a sellable business. And just to be super clear, I, I don't know how many times I've said this in the podcast for quite a lot, but I think it's worth saying again, don't get distracted by this. If you never sell your business in your life and you have no interest in doing that, I don't think this makes any difference to the discipline of creating a sellable business. You don't have to sell, but it's another word for sellable is ownable by somebody else, something somebody would desire and actually take. If your business is not sellable to somebody else, I would question whether it's very ownable by you long-term. If the profit level's too low, if you're in a risky category, if you haven't sorted out your intellectual property, if your finances are a mess, if you don't have a strategy, if you don't have a product roadmap and such things, guess what? Your business is going to be better whoever owns it if you do have those things in place. So. We are going to talk about um, growing a sellable business, thinking about who you're um, going to be potentially selling to, uh, thinking about your your TAM and SAM, things like that. So the market you're in and uh, how do you sell an objective and how do you work backwards from a future aim, which as I say, I think is true for anyone in business, um, whether or not you actually ever end up selling your business. So with no further ado let's plunge into the show and i hope you enjoy the podcast welcome to the 10k collective podcast for six seven and eight figure amazon and e-commerce sellers part of the amazing fba podcast family if you want to scale fast target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process then keep listening If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com forward slash. A lot of the stuff I feel that comes back to this old saying that bad habits breed in good times. And I guess that the opposite is true as well. In other words, if you build a business with a clear plan and you work backwards from where you want it to be and you put all the right things in place, IP, clean accounting, good business processes, the stuff that you guys excel at at Scala, the, the consultancy side, then you built a business that's more sellable anyway. And I guess that you're not relying on the external weather to make your business valuable. You're creating something that has internal processes that build value, right? That's what strikes me. Whereas, of course, you know, if you're selling into a, the sort of drunken frenzy that was acquisitions for e-commerce until six months or eight ten months ago, whatever it is, a year, I guess, now. Then you, can, as long as you had a pulse in a business, and and that's not quite true. But you know, it was kind of crazy. I, I remember looking on and keeping asking the same question of all the aggregators, kind of maybe a bit rudely. I mean, this looks like a bubble. Bubble? Is this a bubble? I'm like, this really feels like a bubble. And then this has got to end, right? So uh, anyway, so I guess that's always just to say, you're, it comes down to good business practice in the end, doesn't it? By the sound of it,
0: for sure, for sure. And I, I'd say, you know, through this through this bear market, and you know, just putting the if. You know, if when I was in e-commerce, you know, brand building, brand owner, going through that process, like, you know, the ultimate goal really is to to take some chips off the table and to to have a level of security and be able to like, you know, go and invest in the next opportunities or build, um, you know, many different streams of revenue where I'm not 100% reliant on a single form of in- income because you never know that-, that you never know when you're going to be in a recession. So I, I think that like these are important things that you should be thinking through. And and as it relates to like accelerating to growth, like really understanding. And I think this is where, you know, I feel very fortunate to partner with a company like Global Wired Advisors and Chris and Jason going through it, like they have the answers to the cheat sheet. They know what private equity, strategics, you know, and even aggregators are looking for when it comes to an acquisition. So every single thing that we go ahead and, and how we approach it is what is appealing, you know, how, how, how do we actually increase the potential multiple for, for an exit? How do we act like what are, the, what are the areas that need, what are the things that need to be achieved in order to, to see and realize that success? And so, I'm sharing that with you guys to, to really think through and understand, you know, I went through an incredible course a couple of years ago called Exit DNA by a really switched on entrepreneur called Mac Lackey who has had six exits, multi, a couple of eight-figure exits in that, and he has this course where he actually walks you through, like, you know, the roadmap of how you approach doing your own diligence and selling your own business and going through that entire process, and, you know, one of the things that just always resonated with me from then is, like, understand years out who your ideal buyer is, you know? get on their radar, get clarity, have those conversations early and like build toward what that looks like. Don't wait, you know, until it comes to that time and you're trying to sort of like put things together, like accelerate your chances of actually achieving your outcome by by dictating your fate as opposed to just waiting. And, you know, even I would say in this climate, like just emailing, you know, 50 aggregators and seeing which one bites.
1: Yeah, right. Because, yeah, I, I guess when there's a feeding frenzy, everyone bites. And when there's a sort of dearth, nobody bites. But neither of those are really very strategic, are they, as as you say? So let's go through. I mean, you've got a bit of a, a list here that you're going to be talking to some, you know, on some prestigious sellers soon. So we're going to get a bit of a scoop on them by you. You've got a bit of a list that you've created for ways to, you know, make the business more sellable or just add value, you know, make, you know, create the exit value that you want in the future. So you talked about understanding your prospective buyer. And we've got the other things about the, the prospective buyer. We're, we're kind of basically trashing aggregators. I guess there are still some in the market. I mean, are there still people in the market? And, and if so, how would you approach that thought?
0: Yeah, so so there's definitely aggregators in the market. I'm not also, to be very clear, we, we work with a lot of aggregators. Sure. They're, they're great people. They're great businesses when they are run the right way. And there will be, you know, of the 120 aggregators, You can expect at least 20 or 30 of them to see like material success and, you know, and to achieve some form of liquidity event, selling to a larger PE firm or strategic or whatever that looks like. And so, a lot of, you know, there will be real winners in the aggregator space. So, and I hope, I hope for all of our sake, you know, for everyone listening here in particular, I hope that more of them succeed and that. Multiples go up, and the opportunity for everyone—you know—it it it really feeds a lot of this market, and so they are. It is a great business model when you get it right. And I think coming back to it, like the the challenge there was just how many aggregators were going after the same thing, and you know, no one was talking. It was just let, let's let's acquire, 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 and then let's figure it out. Which you know we, we've learned is not necessarily the best strategy to have, and coupling all the macroeconomic factors and things that have come to it was just a perfect storm so in terms of like in terms of you know some of the key insights or the things that you know that you'd be looking at just remind me the question mike so the, the question that you had there was yeah was so specifically really, yeah, around so sort of
1: took us down the, the rabbit hole of aggregators which is it, as you say it's a good point though some of them are doing fine and many of them aren't. So, you know, they're not always bad for people to sell to. Yeah. Really, how do we maximize the exit value? So a few sort of pointers. I know you've got a bit of a checklist here that you're going to be using to build a presentation soon. So let's go through that. I think the first one is around TAM sizing and, and competitive, which I always yeah. find a quite interesting discussion.
0: Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So, I mean, you know, if you've started your business already, then you're in, you, you, you can address the total addressable market that you already play in, right? But I'd say like putting on the acquirer's hat perspective or the investor's hat, you know, you're always going to look at a total addressable market, a TAM that has opportunity for growth or understanding, you know, what level of competition exists. Are there, you know, for example, like in children's building blocks, you know, I'll give you an example here of like great children's toys. Like everyone knows Lego, you know, Or the Americans call it Lego. But, uh, you know, everyone's very familiar with that brand. It's the market leader. It absolutely crushes and it has for God knows how many years right now. It's, you know, it is an absolute legacy brand. And they would have such a huge percentage of that total addressable market. And it's probably a very large market. You know, there's all of these. I mean, I've I'm a father now, so starting to learn all about these STEM toys and things that are, you know, about learning and education. But you know, really understanding, is this a market that I can actually penetrate and take up market share and and looking through it? And so, when you sort of put that exiting the business perspective, like really understanding, is there a private equity or strategic buyer in my niche that could see like a bolt-on ability to acquire my business and then run it through their existing demographic? Or is this something that starts to bring or expand out my total addressable market because now I can cross-sell elements that make a whole lot of material sense. So just just really being intentional, I would say, when particularly when you're starting a business, like what what does the entire market look like and and how can I take market share there? And I'd say like a really a really easy example is that why do most people start Amazon FBA businesses in the US versus the UK or Germany or Australia or anywhere else for that matter. And that's because you literally have a buying power audience of 350 million people where more than 50% of e-commerce transactions happen on the Amazon platform. It is the largest market. So, I would much rather hold 1% of that total addressable market than I would even 10% of the Australian market because I'm having to fight for so many eyeballs, so much attention, so, such a high degree of investment to yield you know, and service a much smaller environment. So anyway, that's just a really simple way of breaking it down and looking at why it makes more sense to sell in the US versus Australia. That's
1: very interesting. Well, obviously, if anyone who's ever tried selling Amazon Australia after even the UK kind of has the crickets the phenomenon quite often, okay, I'm I'm ranked number one for some of the biggest keywords for this niche, and I'm getting, you know, two sales a day or whatever. It's phenomenal. But that's one extreme. But I would also be interested in your opinion on whether it's better to be a big fish in a small pond. In other words, have a bigger market share for a smaller, you know, a smaller market. Now, obviously, if you're trying to sell to somebody who's willing to splash millions and millions or even tens of millions, then I guess they're going to want to see huge potential. So that's not so good. But on the other hand, If it's more profitable and a lot of people who sell in the UK go into the US with similar products that that I know and and struggle, is there a good argument for going for the smaller business? How does that is that? And I guess a further question to that is, is there a tension between how you operate the business now versus what makes it more sellable in the future?
0: Yeah. Yeah. These are all great. These are all great questions and really important things to be considering as you're building out. I think all of this really boils down to the objective at the end when we talk about who am i selling this asset to and just knowing the cash flow challenges that you know 90 percent 95 percent of these e-commerce businesses will will have and so understanding from the start like if if i'm to go back into actually building a brand again inside of e-commerce you know that i'm already looking at who are the strategics or pe firms what are they interested in buying and Working backwards from day one to understand where I need to get and what that looks like. So, I would say depends on the level of competition. So, if you're going for these like sub niches and these things that, you know, maybe have a much smaller total addressable market, you know, can I control 50% stake or fi- command 50% of that market? Do I have a level of confidence that the level of competition there isn't great? What's more is, do I have something that is really defensible? Do I have a patent? Against it, that means that for the next 15 years, you know, some sort of design pattern that no one can actually come in and compete. And so, you know, I don't care if I'm going after only a million possible buyers, you know, my products at $500 and no one can even compete. And I know that, you know, I can have 50% of that market share, you know, yeah. sure, I'll, I'll take <laughs> it. So, so, so you get what I'm saying, like catching it with, with, with a level, a degree of insight and understanding. Yeah, I'm seeing lots of nods here.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. I, I think it's partly a mentality thing. I suppose I'm used to dealing with bootstraps on for an and, and, you know, you're one yourself, although, you know, possibly scaling faster than pretty much most people I know. But I suppose if you work backwards in the objective here, you're selling to, if it's some big acquirer and they're only interested in, if your target acquirer is only going to be interested in a market that has a potential to blow up into something huge, then you need to be in America. In which case, you may need to borrow a lot of cash right and i suppose things like that come out as implications don't they and then you've got i guess you've got to got to dance between here's my objective and here's what i'm willing to do to achieve it right because a lot of people i know are very rightly probably never said debt other people embrace it and use it well other people you know use it and crash and burn so how does that dance work between setting an objective or, or another question that really springs to mind is how on earth do you even go about setting that kind of objective for most of us, that's a very unfamiliar territory how, how do you set an objective of who you're going to sell to and, and when and for how much
0: yeah yeah that's a great that's a lot of great questions here mike so again it, it always comes down to who you are and what your personal objective is you know someone someone that lives in a remote you know a, a remote village in Wales, I'm sure, probably doesn't have the lifestyle costs of someone like me that lives in the most expensive city in the world, right? So you know, just just looking at what what is it actually like where are you trying to get to? You know, is this the is this the business that you're trying to build that will see you into retirement? And if so, like you know really simple math, just working back and understanding like what is my cost of living for the next, you know, depending on how old you are, you know, for me. Probably the next fifty years realistically and 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 what does that look like and what would I need to hit and and also like I think one of the things that people go through too is like you know I've spoken to a lot of people that have exited their business and it's gone you know, and aggregator snapped it up and it's like, well, what do I do now you know I've got money, sure, but I've sort of lost my identity that was tied up in my business, and that's a whole other rabbit hole that we could dive into but Going back to answering your your questions, so you really have to be clear on like what your personal vision looks like in one, three, five years. I think it always comes down to what is important to you and and what does that look like. You know, on the back of that, starting to understand and find out, you know, all of the players that exist in your space. Personally speaking, you know, even though I'm going through this process, we're investing in businesses. I have extensive network and have gone through, you know, courses, learned, gone through this whole M&A experience, I still would never sell my business without using an investment banker or a broker. And, and I say that from the lens that, you know, I wouldn't put my house for sale on the market by myself. I'd go to an agent. They've got all the contacts. They've got the way to market it to, you know, and also just the degree of stress that you go in and you go into, like, I would I would look to leverage a professional. You know, if this is like the biggest decision that I'm likely making in in my life at that point in time, you know, I, I don't want to be going it alone, and I don't want to be going it. Um, I don't want to be sitting there and 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 being left without. You know, did I leave money on the table and and all of those you know questions that people would typically ask. So I don't know if I've necessarily answered your question here because I think that there's just so many levels or so many layers that you need to unpack for what's right for you, because there's the components that relate to like your appetite for risk and stress, you know. Are you prepared to borrow five million dollars to grow a business to twenty five million dollars and, you know, and hope that absolutely nothing goes wrong and you can exit it for a hundred million dollars and and off you go. You know, like there's a lot of there's a lot of different incremental steps that you need to take at a personal level before you can sort of make that decision.
1: Yeah, this is great. I mean, so I suppose we're generally answering the sort of question of how to prepare or how to grow a sellable business in a broader sort of sense. That sounds like a rather mechanistic question, but what you're saying about before you even is great. I have to just edit that out. Just So I suppose what you're talking about, though, is a more profound question, which is always harder. Like, what do you really want? Always harder than it sounds. It sounds obvious if anyone says, oh, I can actually do what I want. Oh, it turns out super hard. So setting an objective of what are you actually wanting to achieve? I think you've laid out very clearly. So just to recap, financial number, what number do you need if you're going to retire on? Like where you live, the lifestyle you want, future lifestyle, and like, what are you going to actually do? Such a critical question. People exit businesses, and like you say, they're kind of lost puppies. I mean, I know a few people like that. You really got to think that through. I think that's actually really profound. I think like retiring for an entrepreneur is a terrible idea for most people, I think. and people fantasize about it finding the right players, and then assessing your own, and again, God, this is so important, your your own character. I know some people who thrive on stress, who should never sell their businesses if they don't have to, because it's who they are. And it'd be like a a pianist stopping playing the piano or, you know, a golfer stopping playing golf. People who retire from professional sports often seem to go on to do it at senior level where they're never going to achieve the same things they did, or they go on and become celebrities or business people, but they always seem to go on to something... Well, not always, often seem to go on something really stressful and high profile, and that's because it's who they are, right? I think that's, I'm glad you brought that up. So that's quite a profound stuff. I mean, I guess having an objective, we've already sort of done to death in a sense, but it's really important. What other things should we think about What we, you know, when we've set some kind of objective, how do we begin to work backwards from an objective? Because that's another thing that's kind of obvious. And yet, like, how do you actually do that? That's super yeah. hard. If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode,
0: just go to amazingfba.com forward slash four two nine. Well, let me let me give you the example, like, you know, more of the tangible, less, less visceral sort of like, you know, a consideration of like what does this look like? I would say in the experiences that I've had now working through this process with South coal, you know where we're looking to understand and rather than understand, more so create an environment for that e-commerce business owner that enables them to maximize their multiple and get control of their SDE and, and, and really build the business that has the appeal for that end buyer. And so, you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the steps that we take is like I said at the very start, like operationally, we're looking to remove the founder from any of the things that aren't actually going to move the needle from a multiple perspective. So, if you can find ways to delegate your way out of the working in your business, in the critical things that need to have it run, and what's more is actually delegate that to people that are better than you are in the things that are critical to your business, but not the things that are going to increase that multiple, I think that that's a really intelligent decision. I know we had a great conversation talking about like, you know, in some cases, people want to hand out all of their profits to a potential agency or someone to help support them in their business and, you know, they're left with nothing. And so, you know, it really has you questioning like, is that a right decision or wrong decision? I would look at that equation and I would say, is the short, if the short term is that reality, Okay. You know, there's there's a consideration there. But if the long-term upside opportunity is that that yields a much higher return and you're then able to bring 10 more products to market and do the things that you love, knowing that, you know, from a South Coast perspective, we might, we might work with the founder to build the next 10, 15, 20 products. We might not even necessarily launch those products because when you're looking to sell to a prospective buyer, you know, chances are they don't have... You know a lot of the aggregators i know for a fact don't have a new product development function inside of the business and we all know with e-commerce the best way to grow your brand is to bring out more products to market and so giving them that roadmap and the insights and having all the relationships with the manufacturers and you know acquiring things like the mold or the kitting tools things that have weight material value when a prospective buyer comes along really enables you to, to have a material impact on what that multiple will look like. So I'm sort of peppering in here a number of things that you should consider when you're looking to build toward exit. And some of the things I would say, you know, like you, like you touched on what we noticed and how we even found ourselves in this situation through Escala is that when you can operationally not have a dependency on having that key woman or key man risk attached to the business and you build out those processes and you have clear SOPs and training videos and documentation and you're less reliant on that human risk of someone leaving your business because they hold all of the IP in their head. All of a sudden, a potential acquirer looks at that business and says, right, I understand it. I understand how I could switch it out for lower cost, high value talent or I can automate these things, or I can easily integrate it with my current state and, and current business. And we did that with a lot of aggregators. We would build the process where we would actually look at documenting all the processes of the company under LOI, and then we would help integrate it into the business. So these are, these are all things that I would say on a less emotional or existential consideration perspective, these are all things that you should be looking at in this current climate and, and just period for your business. Wow.
1: So you've got quite the basic level to do list there. So delegating an interesting distinction between things that are critical to your business versus things where you don't add value. So it's critical that the inventory gets delivered. Otherwise you've got nothing to sell and that's one of the best ways to put a hole in your revenue and, and your profits for the year, right? But on the other hand, if it's been organized properly, whilst it's critical, it's not actually any very distinctive, right? And Most well-run businesses won their inventory in standardized ways. So there's a very interesting distinction. And I suppose that what I would just observe on top of that, that a lot of businesses I work with tend to be good at operations and, and not so great with marketing or the other way around. It's rare that a person is comfortable with both. And I would never poo-poo somebody being good at operations, but I think what you can do is get it humming like a top or just kind of lump along same old, same mold. And I guess that the former is more sellable than the latter, right? Absolutely. That's one of the areas that we haven't talked about, which we, we also just touched on very briefly and we aware that we don't you know, create a monster to listen to, but there are so many things to think about. And I think that the more serious entrepreneurs will be willing to do the intellectual work, I hope so anyway, and that one's budget. So we always had a sort of... Luckily, maybe it was a Zoom meeting the, the other day with a mastermind, not quite fisticuffs, but people got quite heated about budgets, which I kind of like. I feel like I've created a business nerd central there and they're, they're <laughs> worrying about the right things. i like, good. But on the other hand, hey, so how important is budgeting, image planning and all that stuff? It, it, can we go too far with that? Or do you think it's actually got real value in terms of building a sellable
0: business? Value? Yeah, yeah, I, I think. You know, we're, we're coming to the end of our time here. And I think you touch on probably one of, if not the most important topics here. And, and that's building that level of clarity around what you're budgeting. And, and I would say equally as important your inventory management. I mean, you. Have to be selling on Amazon and go out of stock all of one time to understand what that impact is to business and how hard it is to get back that BSR ranking and and actually get back and 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 fight back to getting to where you were. You know, like Amazon favors brands that or products SKUs that launch, and you have this grace period where it's trying to understand where to rank you. As soon as you get out of stock, a lot of that value is lost, and so there's probably nothing more important inside of an Amazon business that's built a level of viability to stay in stock. So, you know, I cannot stress the how critical that is and how important that is. And and when it comes to budgeting, I think this is for for every business. And you know, I'll put my hand up and say I have learnt the hard way myself more times than I would like to admit that. It is an absolutely critical fail-safe in your business to have a level of control of your cash and understand like, what are you working toward? And I'd say like on a couple of levels here, like one, let's talk about from the exit mindset of understanding budgets all the way through to your PL and and what does that actually look like? If you're building a business, and the profitability of that business is right now like less than 10%. No one's buying that, unless you're a huge volume-based supplement company, and that's like the way in which that 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 vertical skews. You know, it, it's it becomes like pretty irrelevant. So, understanding your budget helps feed into everything else and make every critical decision. And I would say, like, when you look at the aggregators, and and a lot of us have been guilty of this, is just like when when it's when it's a bull market when things are just exploding when there is like. Money is free. There's literally no interest rates and things are going nuts. Like everyone's hiring and that's amazing. And you're adding headcount, going crazy. But then when things turn and all of a sudden things aren't, you know, you're not selling the level of products, you've got to have a level of buffer in there to understand how do I actually pivot the business. And so if you don't have a level of control that is safe, you can, you know, you can be caught with your proverbial pants down pretty quickly. And and, and, and that, you know, and that can turn south very, very quickly if you're not on top of it. So I think to your point and, you know, your, 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 what did you call it? Your like pen of nerds here. I think it's like, I, I think people should be, it should be very vocal and it should be a very heated discussion. I think that really interesting one. And the thing that we honestly go back and forth is like setting that budget, you know, cause on one hand, like let's take marketing or sales, you know, they want to push growth and, put it out but like who is dictating it is it the function that's trying to actually drive the growth or is it the actual cfo you know pulling back like it's building that that business case as to you know what is if i invest this what is the taxonomy of value that relates to the actual company and how far do i push that and what is my level of comfort around that wow i think you're the first podcast guest to use the word taxonomy here i i, I love that
1: as an internet, but yeah. I think, as I said, I'm not, not sure I call them a, a pen of nerds. I think that's, yeah, might me misplacing it. But what I think is kind of nerdy discussion or rather, rather not the sort of thing that you tend to hear e-commerce operators talking about, but I was really pleased that we're arguing about the right things. Because as you say, in the profitability, right, is critical. Like who the heck's going to buy a low profit business? And, and it's incredibly easy because of all the characteristics of e-commerce that we've discussed And you're tying so much money up in products, you can have a low profit and low cash for a business. I'm like, that's super on edge, track, isn't it? I would say. And the other
0: thing is safety. I mean, even everybody. as an operator. Yeah, of oh, course. Yeah. Operator. Well, that's the other thing I would
1: say. And that's one of the things that my many discusses with the aggregators that we discussed again and again. Like, I think everyone should listen to this. And I I would stand by that because it forces you to think about things from a point of view of making the business better to be owned by somebody in the future. Whether that's somebody else or your grandchildren or you, you know, surely even if you never plan to sell the thing if it's just not sellable because of it being low profit and and badly organized why would you do that to your future self (laughs) is the other question so look we we've talked about a lot of things in detail and really obviously you've got a a very meticulous and and mature business brain which is always very reassuring tell us a little bit about south cole who it's for who it's not for and and how you work with
0: yeah absolutely so i mean i shared through the episode, a lot of like the model and how we work. But but essentially, I mean, we're looking to invest in, in really founders, founders of e-commerce businesses that are committed to an exit, understand that maybe the market right now isn't great, but also have the level of confidence that with the right form of support and capital, they can grow this thing. And someone who is honestly, they don't have all the answers. They're not sitting here and they say, I have this all figured out. And I just like, It's a very interesting model, and this is where we really flies in the face of an aggregator. Where you know we're becoming a business partner with whoever these individuals are, and what that means is that like you know we're we're married together to the outcome. So we're working with you to guide you through it. And so it's really e-commerce businesses that are doing at least about eight hundred thousand in EBITDA. So it's called about a three million dollar revenue business plus that are working in in most categories. But I would say like you know we're we're unlikely to touch supplements. We're unlikely to touch some of these more challenging businesses and ones that are are growing. So, you know, we're not investing in distressed assets where we're just, you know, trying to, you know, invest in something and turn it around. These are like people that are really committed. They see, they at least have an idea of where they'd like to go and they're looking for that guidance and support from, you know, investment banking team a management consultancy and you know and businesses that are really sort of committed to to that learning I think the biggest value outside of the material dollar amount that comes with the exit is is the education you know I don't I don't think that there's a reality where you get two years worth of management consulting experience and all your processes documented and guidance week on week through this process so it's almost like an MBA, if you will, in, in how to approach this moving forward. So yeah, I, th- I think I've given you another long-winded answer there, but I'm passionate.
1: Yeah, well, look, we've got to get the details. I think they matter. And and I would just add to that that I was discussing, I had a podcast with Jason Miles, my co-host on the e-commerce leader. So he's a Shopify-based seller. I'm thinking he has plans to sell. So it's not immediately obvious why it links, but here's why I would say it links. We were talking about motivation and keeping yourself going. If you don't have if you have purely a coaching type relationship with somebody, that's great and valuable. I I like to think it is because I offer that and, and you do that in the consultancy. But if somebody has skin in the game of their own and they're consulting with you, then you kind of have a boss. And whilst everyone the, the pitch for newbies and, and naive people is, and that I was that person and still kind of am to some degree, is to not have a boss sounds like a great fantasy. But actually, if you want to move the needle on your business, it helps to have somebody holding you accountable. And if they got your, if they put their money in, they're actually seriously motivated. But on the other hand, if you've got the VC, you know, extreme is that the venture capitalist is like going, well, you got to 10X the business in the next three years, which is kind of dangerous and likely to blow up, or they'll just fire you because you don't seem to be able to pull a rabbit out of the hat, Right. So this feels to me like a nice middle ground where you've got some pressure, but it's aligned with who you are and where you're going. So that, that seems like a, again. Just to draw the more general lessons from this, a good situation to engineer. So if you can work with somebody like South Carl, that feels like it takes a lot of boxes in one, one gun, one go really. So a couple of final things, the, you've got a, a PDF one pager on some of the, the, you know, what's the word problems and solutions around this area. So tell us a tiny bit about that and we'll, we'll talk about how to get.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we literally just laid out like the three fundamental problems that most e-commerce sellers are going to face and and how South Coal looks to address them and it's just really to give people a little bit more insight and i would say if nothing else it'll help help you think a little bit more as to how does this how should i be thinking about the equation and and building my business so yeah i mean obviously happy happy to share that with the audience
1: Right. Well let's just put amazingfba.com forward slash south coal. So South C O L if anyone wants to get hold of that. And then obviously there may be people out there who feel that you could be the right people to explore working with. So how would people get hold of?
0: Yeah, the the best way to get hold of us, I mean, you're welcome to email me, Yanni at southcoal.co, C O L South Cole. But really the best way would be to go through our form. So there's a form on our website. And we'll actually, depending on when this airs, we'll actually even have a valuation tool live on our site in the not too distant future that again will also take you through that process. But if you're already if you understand that you want to sell in two years or in the next two years, if you understand that you fit these baseline criteria, the fastest way would just to be put in that that submission form and you know, one of us in the team will will reach out and talk you through what it what it might look like. Right, So that's southcoal.co. That's
1: S-O-U-T-H-C-O-L dot C-O. Galing the summit of the e-commerce peak. I like it. So listen, I've taken a lot of your time up as a management consultant here. And I think there's some fascinating insights from today. Any final questions that I should have
0: asked? She's putting me in the hot seat at the end of this here. No, I think, listen, I think you're one of the better hosts that I can remember ever being on their podcast and you know, just the level of how meticulous you are, I would argue puts, puts me to shame in many ways. So no, no questions, mate. You've, you've really hit the nail on the head here.
1: That's great. kind. yeah, I guess I am, I am a massive nerd as my wife would be the first to tell you she's got to put up with me, you know, most days, but I think the details do matter sometimes, and the hard questions are the ones you've got to keep asking. And uh, yeah, you posed as many questions as you've answered today, but I think that's healthy because we're thinking about the right things. Instead of like, how can I hack my way around Facebook's latest algorithm or Amazon or whatever it may be? I just find those depressing conversations because you're going to build a skill that's going to be out of date in three months, and you should be hiring somebody to do that who's going to be willing to spend that time and energy wasted learning a skill that's out of date. What I love about the skills we've been discussing today are they they could go back 300 years and a lot of them would apply. How are you building business value? Who is going to buy your business? What are the risk factors? Those are always evergreen questions. and I I love that. So, Yoni, thank you so much for coming to the show. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's been great.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: If you would like resources and links and other help to do with today's episode, just go to amazingfba.com